0: News Power Hour. It's Monday, the sixth of December. As we enter the last week of the Biz News Power Hour for 2021, I'm Jocelyn Roberts. I'll be your host for this evening. And with me is my colleague, Nadia Swart. Alec will be back with us tomorrow as the team is currently moving into our new headquarters in Bryanston, Johannesburg. Every week that Nadia is in our team is a loss. We all missed you, Nods. So great to have you back. Have you managed to defeat Omicron? And how are you feeling?
1: (laughs) Oh, thanks, Jess. I really actually missed you guys, too. I'm um, feeling fine. Um, I'm actually glad to know what it's all about, even though I do understand that everyone's experience is completely different. Um, and, yeah, not 100%, but I'm, I'm definitely getting there. How do you
0: expect to miss Omicron when you're partying unabated <laughs> in Cape Town on your Friday?
1: and Yeah, hey, hey, hey. I'm just living. I'm just trying to live, Jess. <laughs> the joke's nice. Um, no, but it also, I mean, it does go to show... Um, They said that it's a lot more transmissible and um, I do actually think that that may be the case because I was out but it was a very small gathering um, and sort of nothing stood out and open and was definitely not the first time that I've been out in the last two years. So it was actually quite interesting to see that I think that, you know, it's milder which is great but it does seem to be a lot more transmissible. So something to look out for this festive season.
0: <laughs> exactly, Nods. That's the early data that's suggesting that it is more transmissible, yet the symptoms are mild, which is all for the better. And on the show today, we've got our partners at the FD from the Financial Times. They give us a global perspective of what's happening all around the world in the global markets. Then I chat to David Shapiro Unfortunately, it's my last chat of the year with Shapiro, but we catch up on all things local and international markets. David Shapiro, who's been very bullish on the technology-driven economy, uh, the FANG-related companies that continue to dominate and do so well, despite many of the other companies suffering in the last few weeks. He's gone with NASPIS and Process. He believes that the worst is over in China and Tencent will recover and the rest of the NASPIS Process portfolio which is based on e-commerce and food delivery. He expects to generate some sort of returns in the next few years. I also chat to Andre Saliers, a currency expert from Treasury One. The rand volatile as ever in and around the 16 rand to the dollar mark. There's only two major currencies that have been stronger against the U.S. dollar this year. That is the Chinese and the Russian currencies, whilst the rest are down on the U.S. dollar. A strong year, which... Andre says represents that everyone is fearful at the moment and that sort of goes to show what is happening in the markets. Jeremy Mags chats to Chris Vick, Chairperson of the COVID Comms, an organization created with the aim to deconstruct COVID-19 scientific language with the aim of distributing comprehensive impa- information in South Africa's 11 official languages. And he is also joined by Heather Casey, head of Branded Investec, with the two discuss Investec's new campaign, anything is possible and how the new campaign stands out against the conventional themes associated with financial services planning so a really interesting show ahead but before we get there nods can you take us through the news of the day
2: Rightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different the daily movement in the markets means change for us all sometimes small sometimes big This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes.
1: Here are your news headlines. An untimely dump of 17,718 historic COVID-19 cases on 22nd of November created the impression that South Africa had seen a dire spike in coronavirus infections, just as the country told the world about the Omicron variant. Within hours of the announcement of the discovery last Thursday, the UK and other countries introduced travel bans, which have been slammed by President Cyril Ramaphosa as unjustified. However, at the exact moment the announcement was made, coronavirus data that was available showed that South Africa had seen a major spike in cases from 312 on the 21st of November to over 18,500 on the 22nd of November. In reality, there were only 868 new cases, while almost 18,000 of the cases introduced were historic cases, some as old as April 2020, according to data reviewed by News24. The Department of Health was asked to clarify the decision-making behind the publication of the historic data, but had not responded at the time of writing of the article. President Saul Ramaphosa is expected to receive the report on vaccine mandates soon, as businesses, unions and health groups call for the policy to be implemented. The South African Medical Research Council says that hospital admissions in the wake of the Omicron COVID variant are dominated by unvaccinated people. Unions have called for future lockdown restrictions to only apply to those who have exercised their right not to get vaccinated. Private companies, universities and even some schools have already adopted mandatory vaccination policies, with more expected to follow suit. Ahead of an anticipated avalanche of cases emanating from the state capture inquiry, the National Prosecuting Authority has made corruption its priority, said Prosecution's boss advocate Shamila Batoy. In a briefing, Batoy said the NPA was preparing to strategically select cases arising from the state capture inquiry based on its limited resources. She added that fighting corruption will remain the NPA's top priority. Moving forward, there's going to be an avalanche of work coming from the Zondo Commission. There will be an expectation that there will be quick successes but there is a big difference between testifying in a commission and putting together a watertight case, said Batoy. And it's back to you, Justin, for the market report.
0: Thanks, nods. The JSE Share Index was up at 71,100. In the currency markets, the rand was slightly weaker against all the major currencies to 15 rand 98 cents to the dollar, 21 rand 20 cents to the pound, and 18 rand and 4 cents to the euro. Gold is flat at $1,780 an ounce. A Krugerrand will cost you around 30,000 Rand. Brain crude is trading at $72.30 a barrel, and Bitcoin slumped over the weekend, and you can buy one around the 770,000 Rand mark. In the financial news, oil prices rose by more than $1 a barrel on Monday after top exporter Saudi Arabia raised prices for its crude sold to Asia and the U.S. and as indirect U.S.-Iran talks on reviving a nuclear deal to, appeared to hit in a mass. Brent crude futures for February gained $1.40, or 2%, to $71.30 a barrel, whilst U.S.-Texas intermediate crude for January was at $67.60 a barrel, up 2.1%. On Sunday, Saudi Arabia raised January official selling prices for all crude crude grades sold to Asia and the U.S. by up to 80 U.S. cents from the previous month. The price hikes were implemented despite a decision last week by OPEC and their allies, including Russia a group known as OPEC+, Plus to continue increasing supplies by 400,000 barrels per day in January. Prices were also buoyed by dimin- diminishing prospects of a rise in Iranian oil exports after the indirect U.S.-Iranian talks on saving the 2015 era- Iran nuclear deal broke off last week. European officials voiced dismay on Friday at sweeping demands by Iran's new, hardline government. The talks are expected to resume in the middle of the week.
2: This daily market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes.
3: Today is Monday, December 6th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The corporate drama at Toshiba has a new development, and European auto suppliers warn they'll take a huge hit from a rapid transition to electric vehicles. And our global finance correspondent, Robin Wigglesworth, will tell us about the Tesla financial complex and what it means for the market.
4: Tesla can go up 20, 30 percent in the month, which is just unprecedented for a company of that size.
3: I'm Joanna Gao, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need. Toshiba, if you recall, came out with a proposal last month to split itself into three separate companies. It was the latest effort by the industrial giant to rebuild its market value and to address pressure from activist investors. Now, a group of shareholders has told the FT that it will vote against that proposal. This group together holds more than 30% of Toshiba stock, and it accuses the company of failing to fully pursue talks with private equity buyers. It also says it'll ratchet up pressure on the board to revive discussions of a full buyout of the company. Some shareholders are even considering more immediate tactics, including an emergency vote to purge the board. The European Union plans to ban combustion engine cars by 2035. That means in less than 15 years, carmakers won't be able to sell vehicles powered by fossil fuels. But today, a group of EU auto suppliers issued a warning that this policy could lead to hundreds of thousands of job losses. Here's our Frankfurt correspondent, Joe Miller. Well,
5: it's one of the first real large-scale cries of anguish from the supplier industry in Europe. For a long time, or at least for the last few years, they've basically been jostling for pole position, these companies and the automakers, in terms of their commitments to uh, the energy transition, to clean technologies, particularly electric cars. But as we're getting to the sharp end of this transition and as the EU is putting in this very, very hard deadline, essentially de facto banning combustion engine cars by 2035, we're beginning to hear certain voices in the industry saying, hang on a minute, this is going far, far too fast for us.
3: Joe, what do others in the industry say about this? Will the transition to emissions free cars be as disruptive as the auto suppliers say it will be?
5: It's actually quite difficult to get a clean read on that. It depends on who you ask in the supply chain. It isn't clear that there are that many companies who will completely go out of business because of this transition. Essentially, it's only those that are really involved only in making certain parts that exist solely in combustion engines. And there are very few companies like that. Most companies are a little bit more diversified. And so it's clear when you look at, say, the powertrain industry that there are many companies that will get through this a little bit bruised, but essentially unscathed. And then there are others a bit further down the supply chain that are already feeling the pinch and that they thought for a long time that there would be a more gradual transition. But what's really happened is, firstly, there's been a lot more interest in electric cars in Europe than the automakers and the supply chain anticipated, partially due to very generous subsidies in places like Germany. And the second thing that's happened is that the big car makers, particularly Volkswagen, which is Europe's largest car maker, has all but ruled out any other technologies. They've essentially said the costs of going into electric vehicles are high enough. We cannot split our research and development budget between electric and e-fuel and hydrogen, we're going all in. And so the market has started to make a very, very clear choice that electric cars are the way forward. And that leaves a lot, a lot of suppliers who had hedged their bets a little bit. And they suddenly realize, wow, we've got this almost immediate deadline in car terms. And we know there's only one technology that will survive. And this is really going to hurt us.
3: Joe Miller is the FT's Frankfurt correspondent. Tesla has become one of the most valuable companies in the world. This year, its market capitalization surpassed $1 trillion. But perhaps more consequential than its size, is the company's influence on financial markets. That's due in part to its enormous web of investment vehicles and a huge derivatives market. It's something that our global finance correspondent, Robin Wigglesworth, calls the Tesla financial complex. He joined us to talk more Robin, can I ask about the Tesla options market alone? How big is it?
4: It's mammoth. Options is only one part of what I call the Tesla financial complex, but it is the biggest part of it. So these are derivatives that give people sort of upside or downside exposure to the stock. Uh, the trading values average $241 billion a day in recent weeks. So it means that Tesla is bigger than Amazon and the rest of the S&P combined. And some days it's been four or five times bigger if you consider the size of the market and the swings in the price.
3: That's incredible. I mean, that has to affect the rest of the market. What does that mean for other stocks? And what does that mean for investors who don't hold any Tesla stocks?
4: Well, so options are a funny beast, right? They're derivatives and they can have clearly an impact on the individual stock. In theory, you know, the price of a Tesla option should, it's derived from the price of Tesla's shares. But with those kind of trading volumes, you know, the tail starts wagging at the dock. And because Tesla is such a big part of the US stock market now, it bleeds into the wider market as well. Because if you lose or make a lot of money on Tesla options, that will affect everything else around it. It also means that Tesla is uniquely volatile for a company of that stock. So some companies like an Apple might gain 5 or 6% a month, and that'd be a good month. But Tesla can go up 20 30% in the month, which is just unprecedented for a company of that size. So it means that every fund manager that might have a big weighting towards Tesla, might be a huge Tesla fan, they're going to crush the competition that month. And everybody who doesn't like Tesla that much, or might just be a little bit underweight, you know, have some Tesla stock, but not much in there, is going to underperform. So it just means that what a lot of fund managers across America does, how well they do from any given month or year, kind of depends on what kind of holding they have in Tesla and nothing else.
3: So what does this mean for the market long term? Um, With this kind of influence, could it capsize the whole market?
4: I've seen people argue that Tesla might be systemic. So if Tesla drops a lot, then that's going to hurt the stock market disproportionately. A lot of people are going to lose money. And if Tesla goes up a lot, it will drag more of the stock market with it in the same way. But I don't think it's systemic in that it will cause a crisis. With the caveat that there are always things we don't see. These of hidden interlinkages. And I'm always worried about what of the picture am I missing? Which big investment fund, for example, might be heavily exposed towards Tesla. And if Tesla goes down the drain, then it goes with it and that ripples on. So I don't think we should worry too much about this. This is more of a curiosity at this stage, but it is a pretty incredible curiosity.
3: Robin, do you think Tesla founder Elon Musk had this in mind or did this all just come about by chance?
4: I mean, there are people that are somewhat conspiratorial and think that a lot of this is intentional. I think he's definitely fanned some of this, but whether it was his intention to create the Tesla financial complex, I'm somewhat skeptical of. His is a company and his is a personality that was uniquely suited for the social media age and collided with a -a once-a-century pandemic that led to a -a once-a-century economic stimulus and stock market boom and retail trading boom. And and above all, a retail trading move centred around derivatives called options. And when all these factors got thrown together, you had Tesla becoming a trillion dollar company on what I think even fans would say is a fairly flimsy revenue base.
3: That's Robin Wigglesworth, our global finance correspondent. Before we go, Singapore is discovering the challenges of being a hub for cryptocurrency. Financial regulators in the Southeast Asian city state have suspended the local operations of a prominent digital currency exchange called BitGet. The exchange had been promoting something called Army Coin. It's a crypto coin named after BTS Army. That's the famously devoted fan base for the boy band BTS. The coin claimed to provide lifetime financial support for BTS band members, although anyone can buy and sell it. The problem? The band's agent said the band has nothing to do with it. The agent has threatened legal action. Another potential problem? The owner and creator of ARMY coin is unknown. However, what is known is that trading in this coin is really volatile. The FT found its value could swing between $1,000 and nearly $80,000 within minutes. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT news briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.
0: I'm Joshua Roberts of Business, and with me for today's market insights is Sassfin Securities' David Shapiro. David, the last week of the Business Power Hour for the year. That means it's our last Monday together. Let's chat U.S. markets. Last week, they took a lot of pain, especially towards the latter end, specifically Friday. Yet, the JSE managed to hold its own during the course of the week. When the U.S. sneezes, generally we catch a cold. Why was it different this time? I, I'm
6: not sure. You know, we've seen quite a bit of buying. When you analyze it, um, it appears to be much more in our industrial side that we're getting the um, we're getting the buying. So um it's it's in the banks and financials and other shares that um you know that are contributing to the gains we've we've held up okay um you know it's and and i don't think we've got the big tech businesses that have uh, contributed you know also to the fall in some in, in in us markets the chinese market listen if we look at if if we you know if we look at process and markets it's been a horrific year uh, down. They've been down uh, year to date about 25% and the trend looks like continuing, Justin. It doesn't look like there's any letter on the pummeling of, of Chinese tech stocks. You know, we're waiting for the cavalry to come. They're not coming. You know, it just seems to be going uh, further and further down, which is a little worrying.
0: David, I don't know if it's fair to say that there's hysteria in the markets right now, but there's certainly a lot of uncertainty when it comes mm-hmm. to the future and coming out of the pandemic stronger. What's the single biggest risk to markets at the moment, heading into the festive season and into the new year?
6: You're going to be you're going to be surprised. I think it's the Fed. You know, the Fed doing something silly. And and why I say that? And I mean, I'm I'm uh, here at the bottom end of South Africa, and I was under the impression. I was really under the impression that 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 uh, the markets were coming to grips. With the fact that inflation was perhaps transitory, you know, that was going to go all of a sudden. We get a Jay Powell coming out and, uh, you know, giving, giving the market some kind of hints that this could be, we could start to see rate rises as early as March, April, maybe May. The market is saying 55% of a, of a hike in May. Now that was way outside of our focus. We only thought 2023. So we're hoping that. That the Fed is not pressurized into doing something that they don't need to do. You know, that inflation is in fact transitory that, you know, these, um, these, these, what, what do you call this disruptions that we saw will be overcome. So we've seen the fuel price coming down now. We've seen quite a fit. You know, we've seen the supply chain starting to ease. Uh, goods are starting to uh, work their way in. Um, um, you know, shipping charges are coming down, and so on. So I'm hoping that it's that it's uh, not the Fed that causes pain that shouldn't have been caused. But I don't think Omicron is. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I think that will be overcome. I, I really think that's where the hysteria and the overreaction is.
0: Alec and I were talking about gearing in our internal meeting this morning with a host of retail traders coming into the market and all these trading platforms having these kind of gearing features, margin, we thought it it would be prudent for someone like you to explain the risks, especially because there is the retail masses involved in day trading these days, the risks and how it can be potentially dangerous to your portfolio.
6: Well, if you get, you know, Justin, to to try and explain it very simply, um, when we witness the market now, when there's a slight miss on, on on a company's guidance, and I'm talking largely overseas more so than here, although it does appear here, you've suddenly seen 10% moves. On on um, DocuSign on Friday, DocuSign, which was went up, I think, three times uh, 300% odd in 2020. That's been a moderate performer. Suddenly gave guidance that was lower than the market expected. We saw 42% fall. Now, what happens is that, uh, traders are geared. In other words, uh, they put down 10% for 100% exposure. Now, if, if suddenly that starts coming down, there's a margin call on them. You know, in other words, uh, suddenly the underlying starts to fall more than 10%. So the, 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 uh, the, you know, the people who granted them the option or wrote the derivative for them start making margin calls. They can't afford it. So they start to sell down. So you get this, this, um, this buildup of selling, you know, on traders who have to undo their positions. I know it's, it's very hard to articulate these kind of things to listeners and that. But there is that theory. It's very, very dangerous. Look at look at Bitcoin. Bitcoin, which is supposed to cover us during these tough times, is now trading below 50,000, having been at 65,000. 21% in, in, in a matter of days is a massive fall for those kind of markets. And that identifies the kind of dangers in these markets where people have borrowed money to take very strong bullish positions. So, it, you know, it's for me, it, 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 it is a concern when, you know, in falling markets.
0: That's where our conversation stemmed from, was the 20% mm-hmm. decline in Bitcoin this weekend. 40% of its highs sets in October. There's been lots of talk around Bitcoin being a safe haven, a store of value. But is Bitcoin not acting just as a high beta or a high risk equity stock? Oh, <laughs>
6: <I'm> absolutely, <kidding. laughs> I love I loved Charlie, Charlie Munger's comment and Alec will enjoy it, you know, uh, where he was talking at the SONG conference in Sydney in Australia and talking about uh, Bitcoin. He just said, you know, the promoters are there to make money for themselves. They don't really care about the people who invest. I'm putting it into my own names. But he says, when you look at the quality of the promoters, he says, he would never allow any of them to marry into his family. <laughs> so I think he says they should be banned. But I think, I think it does show you, you know, it's, it's, it's been so fashionable and that's the danger. It becomes so attractive and people see it as a means to get out of their, you know, to, to, to rise above their situation now and become rich. And they start to gear. Gearing is nothing more than a word for borrowing. You're borrowing. In other words, you're taking money that you haven't got to buy something that you can't afford. And that's a danger. So yeah, you know, your discussion is absolutely right. When, when, when markets start to fall, particularly after the heady gains that we've seen, uh, there can be a lot of unraveling, which can do a lot of
0: damage. In the last week or so, David, I've got some of our fund managers, our regulars like yourself, to compete in the business share shootout for 2022. Um, one stock on the JSE can be small, large or, or medium cap company. Which is your pick and what are the reasons why? Uh, you've got me
6: by surprise, but uh, I do apologize. I, I'm David. going to, yeah, you know, I think, you know what I'm going to do? I love to look for shares that have been absolutely bubbled, I And even though I wouldn't buy it now, I'm going to give uh process or NASPERS my vote simply that I think uh, things will stabilize in the year ahead in China. And I think you will find a recovery in 10 cent. I think it's gone too far, despite all the, uh, listen, this is a shootout. So, we're taking a gamble. So I'm going to bet on the gamble. Don't David, take what it I, as a recommendation
0: to buy. What I want to say is that when it comes to single stock choices, there is obviously a lot of luck involved. Um, whereas mm. a portfolio management is a lot more uh, risk diversification. But where we can end off this conversation, David, you talked NASP's process, um, themes for 2022. Do you think we're going to still see this TED-centric theme continue? It just seems like that is... The way things are going, innovation, and it's a tech-driven economy.
6: No doubt, you know I can go on for hours about it. What? What? There is a massive amount of money around at the moment, and it's going into development. That's what I find so exciting, because just look—the money is going into meditech, into biotech, into all kinds of uh, innovations in the medical field. It's go, look at electric vehicles. Look how much innovation is going into the battery into driving these electric cars into the, um, the semiconductors that we need. Look at the innovation going into clean air, you know, into renewables. So, and the money's there. So I see this as a very, very exciting, I think it's a very exciting time and I expect that this will continue.
7: No one just makes a meal for a special occasion. You may go online or to that really fancy daily on the corner And look at all the different options available in one place.
4: Maybe I'll make a risotto and I'll make it really special with some truffles, extra parmesan and chili oil on the side.
7: So why should investing be any different? Glacier by Sunlam's investment platform offers you the widest choice of local and global funds from different fund managers that you can mix and match all in one place. And it lets you customize your investment exactly the way you want it. So you can enjoy your life exactly the way you want to. Ask your financial advisor why you're not with Glacier. Glacier Financial Solutions and Sunlam Life Insurance are licensed financial services providers.
0: I'm Joshua Roberts of Biz News, and with me today for this Currency Focus is Treasury One's André Salias. André, the RAND's been bouncing in and around the 16 to the dollar mark. What are the main driving factors of the RAND dollar price at the moment?
8: Well, good afternoon. What's the main driving force? Uh, interest rates, inflation. We've discussed that. I think what was added to it in the last couple of days uh, is Omicron. Omicron, or whatever they call it. Um, It's COVID. It's back onto the map. We know about the travel bans. Uh, We know about, in my opinion, a total overreaction from the world. Uh, But that's playing havoc throughout the world because we're seeing the infection rate going up all over. Uh, We're hearing here more and more news of this virus or this Mutation that it's all the shores all over the world. And that makes people scared. And when you're scared, you fly and you f- take flight to safe haven currencies out of emerging markets. And that's why we're seeing the rand behaving so erratically. Uh, what is important to see uh, is that it breaks the 16, goes slightly above, then retreats during our daytime trading and in the evening it goes up again but there seems to be a fair amount of resilience around the 16 level.
0: The rand's down around 9% to the dollar year-to-date. The dollar's had a very good year relative to many of the major currencies. Is this dollar strength expected to continue into 2022, and and what does it represent?
8: Well, it represents the uh, view that the Federal Reserve will increase interest rates a lot sooner than what was expected. It's now expected to happen around June 2022, uh, where interest rates will start rising in the United States, because Mr. Pell has now said that they don't think the inflation is transitory anymore, and that it's there to stay, and the factors behind it is there to stay. We're also seeing on the latest figures that came out on Friday in terms of non-farm payrolls and unemployment, Unemployment is down, but there's cost pressures on the in on on the wager side, and that also drives the inflation. So I think that the dollar strength is here to stay with us for a while. Uh, I do think that it's a little bit overdone, and as we go into the course of new of the new year, I think we might see it stabilising a little bit and actually even losing a little bit. Uh, but that also links up with what we can expect from the virus. Uh, and how that plays out going forward. We know that Europe is in their winter season, so I think they're a little bit more prone to uh, higher infection rates. But if that stabilizes next year uh, or early in the new year, we could see the euro picking up a little bit of strength and the dollar losing a little bit of value. If I say that, I do not mean you know, leaps and bounds. The emphasis is on a little bit. Uh, So I am looking forward to a little bit more stabilization uh, going forward.
0: The Argentinian peso hit 100 to the US dollar days ago. A few years ago, it was less than 10 to the dollar. Is this type of scenario possible for the RAND in the years to come if South Africa's economy fails to find its feet?
8: It's possible, but I think that that's a very, very small likelihood. Uh, I think the South African economy is uh, finding its feet. Uh, I think our government's a little bit more stable. Our economy is a little bit more stable. You know, uh, there's two groups. There's the developed countries and there's emerging markets. But between the emerging market countries, there's very, very big differences. Uh, So to draw a direct parallel line between us and Argentina or us and Brazil or us and Mexico, whatever it might be, um, is a little bit difficult because when you get into the emerging market space, uh, there's a lot of unique factors that applies to each of them. Uh, and I don't think that we're in that space of a f- totally, totally failing economy or government or anything in that sense.
0: The Russian and Chinese currencies are the only two major currencies up on the U.S. dollar this year. What are the reasons for that?
8: Well, if you look at the Chinese currency, uh, then, you know, they are less hampered uh, by the uh, pandemic. I think the measures that they've taken uh, worked for them. So they came out of it a little bit better. Uh Can we always believe all the statistics that come out of them? You know, that's doubtful. uh, But they say it's under control. Apart from that, uh, they seem to be having the electricity crisis that they had under control as well. Uh, And it is still a very big economy and a lot of world countries dependent on what they get out of China and what they send to China. Uh, So their economy is still on the growth side, uh, lower but still on on a very good trajectory. As far as Russia is concerned, we simply need to look at the oil price and what the oil price has done over the last couple of months. Uh, And uh, Russia especially is in the gas area a very, very strong competitor. And we also need to look at those energy prices uh, to understand why they're doing so well. Uh, And I would call much of the strength of the Russian ruble uh, into that area.
0: Turkish lira down 85% here to date on the U.S. dollar. But their stock market is doing very well. What is the correlation between the currency and the stock market? It seems a bit counterintuitive for your currency to be devalued so much, yet the stock market continues to increase.
8: I think the stock market increased because their interest rates uh, was lowered. Uh, you know, that is that is good for the stock exchange. Um, if you simply think in terms of any company with debt and you lower interest rates, uh, their interest burden comes down tremendously. And if their interest burden comes down, their bottom line goes up uh, and that bodes well for the stock market. Uh, and then we do have a very, very erratic president. We do have a very erratic government there. Uh, hence, I always uh, refer to the Turkish delight uh, because it is a delight to watch what they do. Um, but uh, it's an erratic country. Uh, but I think the lower interest rates is the one that supports the stock exchange at this point in time.
0: Bitcoin down 20% of the weekend. Does this sort of rule Bitcoin out of the thesis that it can be used as a form of currency, the fact that it can drop 20% over a two-day period?
8: Okay, now Bitcoin is an interesting one. Uh, the, you know, The volatility of Bitcoin has been with us uh, since Bitcoin sort of became more of a Uh, I want to call it an asset class on its own. Uh, And uh, there's all sorts of things that was added, there's uh, futures and et et cetera that was added to that that makes it more tradable, but it remains a very and extremely volatile space. Uh, And that will remain like that going forward for the next couple of years. Uh, So, you know, when you're in Bitcoin, you have to live with that kind of volatility. There's no underlying value to it. There's no underlying anything to it. Uh, so it is, there's, and there's a heck of a lot of trading. Uh, and because there's so much trading against it, and I think there's also a little bit of manipulation by people, uh, by the big players on it, uh, but you'll have to live with that. It. It's not going to go away.
0: What are the technicals, uh, the charts telling us about the Rand dollar price into the festive season and then into the start of 2022,
8: André? Okay, as long as we don't break the 15.80, uh, we're not going lower. As long as we're not breaking the 16.15, 16.17 and a half area, we will remain in this trading range between those two levels. Uh, On either side, if it breaks out, of either side, it will, uh, it can move another 30 to 40 cents. Uh, my bet would be on towards the end of the year that we have a greater chance of actually breaking the 1580 level, moving down to the 1560, 1550 levels, uh, than what we have on the upside. That would be my, uh, forecast going forward for the festive season.
2: How does business empower our nation? By bringing produce to our tables, giving us technology that connects us, hospitals that care for us, and the tools that shape our cities, and by backing the next generation of business owners. That's why South Africa banks on business. Business banks on us. Standard Bank. It can be. Standard Bank is an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. In association with Biz News, welcome to Mags on Media. In this week's episode, navigating the complex web of public health messaging, we're going to take a look at the role that media has played in COVID-19 communication, and anything is possible with Investec's brand new campaign. I want to start with this, though. South Africa's media landscape is shaped by a digital divide, making the production and dissemination of effective public health campaigns a real challenge. Talking to me now, Chris Vick, Chairperson of the COVID Comms, a network of communication specialists aiming to spread accurate information from credible sources on the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, credible sources, I think, is a key phrase in this conversation. Chris, what is COVID Comms aiming to do for public health messaging that government isn't doing?
9: Well, we came together um, because of a concern that government's communication within scientific language primarily in English, and primarily targeted at urban areas. So our objective has been to pull together um, a range of creative people who can produce easy-to-understand public health information in the form of infographics, videos, or radio clips um, in all 11 South African languages. We've even done work in Khoi to make sure maximum impact is achieved. And it's sort of taking science uh, and making it easy to understand. So we deconstruct that scientific language and focus on, on, on using all South African languages. That is our core purpose.
2: With what intention? What's the key message that you're trying to put across?
9: Well, the key message is aligned to what government says. It's aligned to what the World Health Organization and other health authorities say. Um, the first nine months to a year of our existence, because we were formed the day of the national lockdown, uh, the focus is primarily on preventing the spread of COVID-19, so preventative measures, wearing masks, washing hands, et cetera. Um, and then when the vaccines arrived and the rollout started, we then started to focus on additional messaging around the importance of vaccines, explaining how they work um, through easy-to-understand videos, et cetera. Um, and then also introducing the importance of ventilation, because scientists have found that's also a critical issue in terms of preventing the spread of COVID-19. So very much aligned with what government's doing, just packaged very differently. Um, As I say, multiple languages, plain language, deconstructing the science.
2: As we speak, uh, the world is now dealing with the new variant. How is your approach and messaging changing then?
9: Well, it it is complex, right, because there's still a lot of, uh, there are a lot of unknowns around the, the new variant for example, where the vaccines are still as efficient as they were with the previous variants. So, I mean, we have daily meetings with uh, people in the Department of Health, the NICT, uh, and other people working on these issues to to tweak. But I mean, the messaging stays the same in that preventative, non-pharmaceutical approaches, mask, sanitation, and social distancing, alongside ventilation, apply with with whatever variant comes out. Um, it, it's affected to some extent the vaccine messaging, as I say, because of the uncertainty around the variants. But the science that we've seen and the discussions we've had with the medical sci- practitioners and scientists is that vaccination will help um, to manage the impact of, of this variant and others that may come along. Um, but I must say, I mean, it's a sort of daily daily journey to, to find out what, what new has been discovered. But keeping that kind of bedrock of, of consistent messaging and particularly dealing with people who are hesitant around getting vaccinated. We you know, there are people who are outright resistant, um, where we've had very little success. But with people who are hesitant, the response is incredibly good. I think I think the, the new variant has actually resulted in an increase slight increase in vaccinations, possibly because it's it's smashed through the complacency that was starting to develop around COVID nineteen. But for us, it's the combination of this new variant and the reality of the so-called festive season, which is that a lot of people travel, a lot of people have large Mm -hmm. gatherings, um, a lot of time is spent in public transport. So the more we can bed down that sort of combination of non-pharmaceutical interventions and uh, vaccination messaging, the more impact we're hoping to have.
2: Chris Vick, as a communications professional, how difficult is it to move away from the constant and increasing uh, volume of of misinformation. And again, I refer you to the new variant and the way in which it's been labeled the South African variant, which has led to all sorts of obvious consequences. Um, How how do we get over that, I wonder?
9: Well, I mean, it is a constant battle of, of fact versus fiction. And when the facts are uncertain, it's very difficult to combat the fiction but, but I mean, for example, COVID comms, We've launched a series of workshops. Um, we've done about 50 so far, aimed primarily at young people who are vaccine hesitant. And what we find is, if you listen to the reasons that people put forward, and you respond to those in a in a conversational way, in an engaging way, that we are able to influence perceptions. I mean, we often find people going straight from a a workshop that we convene to go and get vaccinated. Um, I, but I think it happens on different levels, you know, I think within communities and, 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 and whether they're geographic or faith-based or whatever, I think that the conversations happening um, between between communities are very different to the conversations that are happening uh, geographically between South Africa and Europe or the U.S., for example. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's happening on different levels and it's a bit of a cliche that there are many moving parts involved in this thing. For us, the importance is consistency in the messaging, and as I said, to listen to why people have particular concerns, and then to respond them with to respond to them in a fact-based way, and in language that people can understand.
2: What amplified or better way can the business community get involved with initiatives like this?
9: Well, B4SA, which was set up uh, by BUSA and other elements of organised business has played an incredibly important role across the board. I mean, whether it's with logistics around vaccines or around understanding, you know, the economic impact of the lockdowns. But when it comes to communications and B4SA, sorry, has a very dedicated team which is part of a formation we're involved in called the National Communications Partnership. Now, that brings together business, labor, civil society, and government. And there's constant discussion around... What business is doing, what business can do, and how that can be aligned with the efforts of government, labor, and civil society. So I I would say from a a sort of institutional point of view, organized business has been incredibly helpful uh, and very, very supportive and then also taking messages back to particular sectors of business, such as mining, uh, the retail sector. There's a lot of movement of information and ideas that's going on, and it really has helped this national effort to go around COVID-19.
2: When you talk about messaging, um, I understand that it's hard work, it's a slog, but as we uh, approach the festive period, we've been in this situation for two years now. How do you combat pandemic messaging fatigue going forward. In other words, what is your it's, plan for 2022?
9: Well, it, I mean, it is a real challenge. And I, and I think that, the, ironically, this new variant has dealt with some of that pandemic fatigue. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bit morbid. But I think, in reality, the more infections we see, and it's bound to happen, the more fatalities we see and the greater the impact on the economy, that, in a, in a way, pushes through the, the the fatigue that exists already. But in, in the case of COVID comms, I mean, we are constantly coming up with new creative ideas. We launch new campaigns every four to six months. Our festive season messaging is very much aimed at young people because we believe they can act as vaccine ambassadors within their communities or within their constituencies. The message there is if you're gonna joel, joel outdoors, joel in small groups, uh, be conscious of your behavior. There's also a specific set of messaging aimed at people who are using public transport around the importance of ventilation, wearing a mask, <clears throat> uh, sanitizing, et cetera. So we, we sort of, the, the bedrock approach of around messaging stays the same, but the tonality changes um, depending on the time of the year. The creative approach that we use uh, changes depending on the time of the year and the target audience. So a lot of the, the, the material that's coming off the production line now. Is, is what we call live action. So we've got, for example, two people arriving at a bar, um, realizing that it's very crowded and they're likely to, to pick up an infection if there is something in the air, and then going to sit in an outdoor bar, which is much quieter and calmer, and then reinforcing the importance of vaccinations within that. So the creative approach changes, as I say, but the bedrock of messaging stays pretty much the same.
2: And Chris Vick, I say strength to your hand and to the initiative, it is important. Thank you for joining me.
9: Thank you, Jeremy.
7: No one just buys a car. You may go to a dealership and consider all your options available in one place.
4: Maybe I'll get a family sedan and customize it just the way I want it. I'm looking for safety features like airbags for the family,
7: of course. So why should investing be any different? Glacier by Sunlam's investment platform offers you the widest choice of local and global fans from different fund managers that you can mix and match all in one place. And it lets you customize your investment exactly the way you want it. So you can enjoy your life exactly the way you want to. Ask your financial advisor why you're not with Glacier. Glacier Financial Solutions and Sunum Life Insurance are licensed financial services providers.
2: Seizing possibilities is the idea behind Investec's latest campaign. It's an optimistic message that is meant to set the company apart from other industry players. I'm going to talk now to Heather Casey, Investec Head of Brand in South Africa. Heather, you mentioned that the new campaign stands out against, and I quote, the conventional themes associated with financial services planning. What are those conventional themes and why are you going in a new direction?
10: Um, Jeremy, good to good to be here. Um, it's it's really it's it's less about standing out against conventional themes when it comes to the the traditional type of financial services advertising, but more about, from our perspective, staying true to our roots as as a brand. Um, we leading up to this campaign, we spent a lot of time last year, as I know many many companies did, um, whilst the world was in the, the the grips of COVID, and and tried to use the time well in looking at our positioning, um, making sure that it was relevant, solid, true, human. And, and I've mentioned the word relevant, but still relevant to the times that we live in because they, they were changing dramatically. Um, so our positioning has has always been out of the ordinary. Um, it is a benchmark that we, we hold ourselves to. It's our North star, something we hold ourselves you know, accountable to. And, and we really wanted to unpack it and, and look at it. Was it still relevant for the times we were living in? Um, and then we, we distilled it down we felt well it needed to be articulated in such a way that it's easily understood by our clients and potential clients um we constantly refer to the fact that we're a human partner um, which quite simply means that you know we put our clients um at the center of everything we do and we 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 spent the time last year just unpacking that and making sure that the our positioning of out of the ordinary you know wasn't going to change that it felt, you know, relevant for the times that we're living in. Um, And so one of the questions we asked ourselves was, what does it mean then to be out of the ordinary in 2021? Um, and, And the purpose of this campaign then was really to position that in a very simple way. We wanted a bold, a positive, a stimulating message and a message that would stand out from the clutter, especially in the times that we were living in.
2: When you do something like this, a recalibration, Heather, how much risk is attached
3: to it?
10: So let me um, clarify. In, in our minds, it's it's less of a recalibration, more of an emphasising our positioning in a clear and simple way. Um, I think if if we had gone into really looking at changing it dramatically, that there is risk in that. And I think there's brand risk. Um especially if you've been in market for a, for a very long time, like, like we have certainly in South Africa. Um, and so there would be risk if you're changing a, a positioning that, that you're rooted in. Um, certainly for this campaign, we feel that it's rooted in our positioning and we're articulating it in a very simple way, given the world that we were living in.
2: You spoke to me about being relevant for the time that we live in. That resonates with me very powerfully, given the enormous difficulties that we're facing as I speak to you now. We're dealing with the new COVID variant. We've just come out of a very difficult climate change conference. Uh, I don't. We don't have time for me to list all the difficulties that the world is facing right now. But how can you be sure, Heather, that a campaign like this is not only going to be well received, but is going to find some resonance through the clutter? Mm.
10: Um. Jeremy, we asked ourselves that exact question for for a a good few months. Um, And I just want to acknowledge that we we absolutely recognise that the events that have happened in the last 18 months have been devastating across the globe on an individual, an economic and a global level. Um, And that's certainly the last 18 months, it's been business unusual against that backdrop. Uh, So when we... When we entered into really looking at how do we launch a campaign into market, we had that in, a, in top of mind. And you know, I'm, I'm smiling to myself as we find ourselves this week again in in the grips of of, of a fourth wave and and what we're facing. Um, but still, firmly believe that it was the right time for a particular message a message to go out. Um, and the reason for that is we wanted to look forward. We wanted to play our part in rebuilding rebuilding with a message of hope, sending a positive message and trying to look forward to a brighter tomorrow and a brighter future with a little bit of optimism. But again, as I, as I clarify, absolutely acknowledging that, that the world has really been through turmoil. Um, but we wanted to look forward with optimism and that's why we felt the time was right. Um, businesses, individuals, our clients are really looking at the world differently and And this messaging into market now at this particular time was designed to make the most of this moment to focus on the the possibilities that lie ahead it's It's so easy to get bogged down in in what we are surrounded in and and as you mentioned, Jeremy, there are many issues we could mm. spend all day talking about. Um, but we felt we wanted to focus on the possibilities that lie ahead we We feel that as a as a company, we've, we've always had this ability to look beyond the moment in time and focus on the future. And and we, we felt the time was right to do that. Um, we did um, question ourselves a lot in the last month as we raced to get all the assets done. We, we felt that it was a, a good time in November to launch. Um, and 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 I, I sit here with knowing what's going on around the world. And still believe that it, it's the right time for for focusing on a, a positive message.
2: You talk about brands having to bring hope and optimism. Uh, it's not just in the financial services space, but it's wherever you look. Um, do brands have any choice these days but to pivot in those di- in in that direction? Do you think?
10: In my opinion, Jeremy, I I, I don't think if a brand wants to remain relevant, I think. A brand needs to consider that. Um, we speak a lot about in, in the marketing world about purpose-led brands. We know all the statistics and the figures that come out saying consumers globally really don't care if a brand is 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 going to exist. I think 70% of consumers sometimes don't don't believe that, you know, they don't really mind if a, a brand goes under. What, and what a brand needs to focus on is really being purpose-led, is, is focusing on a message that's relevant for the time and, and not being tone-deaf, tone-deaf to what's going around you know, in, in the globe at that time. So I, I believe that brands generally do have to, to pivot. doesn't necessarily mean changing positioning. Um, it, it really means focusing on consumers. What are the consumers saying? What do we need to be focusing on? And how do we make ourselves relevant?
2: providing of course a brand lives the purpose and that you don't uh, uh, you simply don't pay lip service to it This Correct. has got to be inculcated 100%. into your entire uh, ethos within the organization doesn't it that is that's perhaps more difficult to do.
10: Yes, it is very difficult um, but at the same time and I might sound as if it's a contradiction it should be quite simple if you if you have a positioning and a purpose that is strong and it's authentic, and you believe it, and you constantly ensure that it's relevant. Um, it should be quite simple, and and you, you know you you need to, as I, as I mentioned earlier, not be tone deaf to what's around you.
2: Just a final question, then Heather Casey. How do you measure the success of a campaign like this?
10: We obviously do all the statistics and the measurement and the and the analysis that that everybody does. We 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 look at. Um, annually doing research into the health of our brand to look at what our clients are saying about us. We use all the traditional listening tools. Um, we, we look at all the, the, the benchmarks, et cetera. Um, but we also look at a lot of um, face-to-face feedback. We, we, from a brand's point of view, brand has to do a particular job. Um, are we generating leads and driving business? yes, we need to do that. And we, you know, our businesses need to mm. sort of leverage up and, and follow suit with with messaging that, that talks to that. But we, we use all the tools, the listening tools, the stats, the measurements, the analysis, and at the end of the day, use feedback from clients and stakeholders to ensure that we are constantly on track.
2: Heather, thank you very much for joining us on Magzon Media.
10: Pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: And that's all for today. From me, Joshua Roberts, and my colleague, Nadia Swart, and the rest of the BizNews team, thanks for being with us. We'll be with you same time, same place tomorrow. Cheerio.
2: You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at BizNews.